Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing in the room today? Everybody good? It's kind of soft, but that's okay. I'm glad you're here. Welcome, welcome. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint, and we're so glad you're here. Um, we had some mold roll in this week, so I'm a little bit nasally, and if I cough here and there, just turn your faces and pray for a brother. Come on, somebody. Anybody else allergic to mold besides me? Okay, a couple of you are feeling what I'm feeling then. <clears throat> you, 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 you like it when you have four gatherings, and you got to cough your way through them all. Come on. You're welcome. You're welcome, by the way. This is a splash zone right here. I'm, ki- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's disgusting. Sorry. I was a youth pastor for a long time, and I can't get some of that out of me, all right? Uh, but we're so, so glad you're here. Welcome, everybody. Um, we're finishing a three-part series on the book of Malachi. If you don't know the book of Malachi, it's the last book of the Old Testament. Uh, our Bible is divided into two covenants or testaments, and the, the, the last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. It's a short four-chapter uh, book that was written by a man, or uh, I should, should written down by a man named Malachi, whose name means messenger. And here's what God's commission to Malachi was: Malachi was commissioned by God to reestablish standards of excellence amongst God's people in three key areas. If you read the the book, you'll you'll notice he talks about their spirituality, the way that they worship him. He talks about their relationships, the way that they're relating to each other, husband to wife, wife to husband, kids, families. He really comes after them for that. And then in the third chapter, he talks about reestablishing standards of excellence in uh, financial matters. And that's where we're going to go today. I I wonder, I'm curious, how many of you have ever had something stolen from you before? Somebody took something of yours. Anybody in the room ever had somebody break into your house? Raise your hands. Yeah, that's happened to me uh, several times when I was a young person. Um, we have a house right over here, um, the church does, that is our offices. A few years ago, before this building was built, I came in one afternoon, and there was a car out there in front, and I was like, what's this car doing here? I don't know whose car this is. I go inside. I shouldn't have gone inside. I should have been like, this car doesn't belong here. I go inside, and I hear this bang, and, I, and, and, I, and I, so I, I'm like, what was that? I go around the corner, and we had, we had a big television in there that we used for small groups, and it was laying on the ground, and I was like, well, that's probably not supposed to be in the middle of the kitchen floor, right? So I'm like, hello? You know, I'm, hello, there's nobody there. I go down this little hallway. If you've ever been in there, it's not a very big house. I go down this little hallway, and out of, the, of this other office comes this, this man and this woman. The woman's taller than the man. The man, um, the man has his head shaved, and he has tattoos all over his head, all down his face, all across his face, down his neck until it's gone. So I'm not trying to judge anybody, but probably... He's not supposed to be inside that house. Come on, can I get an amen? And I was like, what are y'all doing in here, man? And I, I immediately got mad. Come on, you, you, those of you who have ever had something stolen from you, come on, do you want to cut somebody a little bit for Jesus? Just, just a little nick. For, I mean, for Jesus, of course. You do everything as unto the Lord, the Bible says, right? So I'm like, I'm like, they're like, oh man, our bad, you know, we, we, Michelle told us to come by that this TV was broken. I was like, how dumb do you think I am? Like I'm waving my head around, I'm angry, not realizing that I'm, I'm, I'm in this aisle with these people, they could kill me, you know what I'm saying? Matter of fact, the sheriff came in and said, I can't believe you walked away from that because nobody walks away from something like that. Either they get shot or you get shot. Usually it's the homeowner and I was like, well, I had the Lord on my side, bro, you know what I'm saying? And uh, 
I didn't say that. I wanted to. I should have. In hindsight, it would have been much better if I did. Make the story a lot better. But whatever reason, they were terrified of me. And I'm yelling at them. I'm, I, I, it was like seven or eight minutes I gave them the business. And I didn't realize that, that the dude had already snatched my knife that was in my office desk, which was like a sword knife. Like, we found it in the attic of that house. Somebody had left it there for the previous owner. It was like, it was like, like the Al- you defend the Alamo with this thing. And this guy has it on him, and I got like this little petty knife, you know. It's like, he could take me. Plus, he had tattoos all over his face. He's automatically cooler than I am. Come on, I, anyways, I was mad. I was mad, and I let him go. Um, not before I gave him a good tongue lashing. Come on, praise God. <laughs> I'm mentioning all this because this is exactly what our prophet Malachi accuses the people of Israel of, of stealing, right? And, and it's the most unusual victim of theft, right? Like if I said to you, who's the last person that's gonna get robbed in the universe? Probably you'd say, God, right? And this is exactly who he accuses them of stealing from, Right? And and here's what he says. This is verse 6, Malachi 3. He says, now this is the Lord speaking through Malachi. I, the Lord, do not what? Do not change. This is in reference to the covenants that he'd made with Abraham and Noah. Like, and we talked about this last week. If you missed this, please go check it out. That when God makes a promise, he can never go back on his word. He will never go back on his word. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. You're not destroyed because you're awesome. You're, just, you're not destroyed because I'm, I don't change. In fact, Lamentations 3 says that the Lord, uh, that we are not consumed because of the great love of the Lord that his compassions never fail, right? That's why. Like, like it, ain't, it ain't about you that you're not destroyed. It's about me. And then he says in verse 7, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees. Remember that word the decrees and you've not kept them you've not kept faith with the 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 covenants we made together so he says return to me and i will return to you but by the way that's the theme of the whole book return to me and i will return to you says the lord almighty but you ask how how are we to return so what he's saying is listen i have i have departed from you my presence has left the room right so to speak because you have not done your, your part of the deal. And so they're like, well, how, how do we t- return to you? So here's what he says in verse eight. Will, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, right? That's bad. Your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the, the whole tithe into the storehouse, right, which was the, the tabernacle for them, that there may be food in my house, right? And then that was negative. Here's the positive part of it. Test me in this, God says, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And then this is a key word here. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, he says, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, before their time, says the Lord Almighty. <clears throat> then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I think it's important that that word prevent is in there. Um, because I think it's true that when you, follow, when you follow Jesus, when you give God your heart and life, 
all throughout your lifetime, things that might have happened to you that aren't great don't happen to you oftentimes because God prevented it. And most of the time, we don't even know that God prevented the bad things that happen in our life because we're just going about life. I'll give you a perfect, for instance, two weeks, a week and a half ago, my wife and I are coming back. We went to the mall with our girls and they were driving in another car. And as we pulled up to the light near our neighborhood, um, this car was planning to run the light, uh, but Noel, my eldest, stopped. And in the parents' worst nightmare, you just see this big truck just screeching his brakes, trying not to hit them, just flying up, and you're like, oh, this is about to be bad. And then it was just a minus little tap. Didn't even leave a mark. And immediately I was like, that was the hand of God. Because two days later at the same light, I watched it happen. Somebody drilled the car from same exact scenario. And I'm not saying God's hand was on my kids and not on this lady, but she was badly hurt right at the very same spot, right out in front of my neighborhood. Um, and I just said, thank you, Lord, because that could have been really bad, but it wasn't. And I believe that's God's hand. I, th- I think that's how it works, honestly. I, b- I believe that's how it works. Now, <clears throat> it's a very interesting thing that Malachi does here. L- let me provide you some background first, because a lot of people will preach this, this text that we just read here, but not tell you why it's written the way it is. And I want to make sure that we understand why it's written this way. God had spelled out hundreds of years before Malachi Um, about how the people ought to handle their money in an excellent way, right? Earn money ethically. By the way, can I just pause real quick? Um, A lot of people get nervous when churches talk about money. I don't want anything from you. Everybody with me? Okay, not gonna pass a plate at the end. Not gonna try to get you to do anything. Okay, everybody look at me. Don't want anything from you, all right? Just preaching God's word because that's part of the text. We're preaching through Malachi. This is in the text, okay? Everybody with me? So, (gasps) relax. Like, should we leave now or should we wait till, when can we leave? Don't leave, just chill, all right? It's, it's gonna be good, I promise you. Right, you don't have to run. You don't have to run for your life, all right? So, so he teaches them in Leviticus and in, 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 in Deuteronomy and Exodus about how to handle money well. Or earn money ethically. Don't, don't, don't cheat, don't steal, don't rob, don't do underhanded deals, right? Don't do backdoor situations, right? Spend money wisely, like, this is what God teaches. Like, don't be foolish. Don't be careless, right? Avoid debt, especially destructive debt. S- Solomon would come along and say, hey, save money. He would teach us that over and over again for the future. Give money to the poor, generously, the people who have need. And then God says, I'm establishing a principle, a practice called tithing. And the word tithe just means a tenth or 10%. That's literally what the word means. It means 10%. The idea behind the practice was that God's people would willingly give 10% of whatever increase they had in life. Now, they were an agrarian society, right? So we're talking about sheep and, and cows and, you know, whatever, bulls, right? Uh, spices, uh, herbs, r- right? Not the, not the Colorado kind of herb. Come on, praise Jesus. Like, like cumin and stuff like that, right? And, and, and they would bring it <clears throat> to their worship place as a symbol of, their gratefulness that God had given them this stuff in the first place. And also sort of practically um, for the supporting of the ministry of their, of their worship center, which was called the, the tabernacle and then would later be called Solomon's temple when they built the temple. And the tithe is the very thing that God is accusing them of robbing from him. So I want to get clear on something because you need to understand context here. <clears throat> God has always had a people that he would call his own He's always had a place, and in that place, he would always prescribe that that's a place 
where his presence is going to come down. It's people, it's place, it's presence. All inextricably intertwined. One verse to show you how this works. This is Deuteronomy 12. He says, but you, he's talking to the nation of Israel, but you, the people, right? Those are the people are to seek, a, say this with me, a, a, the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. That's the place. To that place, you must go. Now notice, there, bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifice, your tithes, your special gifts, what you've vowed to give in your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There in the presence of the Lord, this is verse, I think, eight, uh, or seven, there in the presence of the Lord, and it goes on and says, you, you enjoy. You enjoy in the presence of the Lord. In this text, we see this exact thing I'm saying. We see people, we see place, we see presence, right? Go all the way back to Genesis to Abraham. If you know the Bible at all, Abraham, it, we talked about this last week. God makes a covenant with him. I'm gonna make a nation through you. I'm gonna make nations from you. And all the people of the world are gonna be blessed through you, Abraham. And then we get to Moses. There's a people now, but there's not a place. Moses is taught, you gotta, you gotta raise up a place for me. They build this tent-like structure called the tabernacle. It's beautiful. It's ornate. And, and, it's, and it's built on the, on, with all of the stuff that the Egyptians gave the people on their way out of Egypt, right? So if you remember Bible history, they get out of Egypt after 400 plus years of slavery. They go out into the wilderness. They're on their way to the promised land. And when they would stop every now and then, God would say, set up the tent here. And so they would set up this tabernacle. That was God's house. That was the place. He had a people. Now he has a place for his presence to come down, which it did in that tabernacle it came down. For a long time, people carried out God's guidelines, just as God had, had outlined them. People did money management in an excellent way. They brought the tithes. They brought the offerings. They did exactly what God said. Everybody was blessed. Whenever you read through the Old Testament and you see times when the nation of Israel is flourishing, part of it is directly tied into they get this part right. I promise you, go read. They're getting this part right. They, they didn't get into financial troubles. They didn't owe a bunch of people money. They were doing what God was honored because he was being, he was being thanked and praised in the, in the way he wanted. Temple ministries had enough to do what they were supposed to be doing. But then, as had happened so many times before, the people drifted. They drifted. Because people, we, we drift south when it comes to standards of excellence. Over time, we drift south. And it's the job of the leader, Peter Drucker says, to help the organizations to, to raise the standards. And this is what Moses did. This is what Malachi is doing right here. He's trying to help raise the standards. So God would say, to, he would send messenger after messenger, return to me, return to me, return to me. They don't, they don't return to him. So one day a, a king <clears throat> from outside who doesn't know God, his name was Nebuchadnezzar, he comes in, he destroys the temple. He takes all of its precious artifacts, all the things that were used in, as objects of worship. He takes them all. The people get taken into exile. The temple's in ruins for, for a long time. God raises up a man named Ezra to come back and build the temple. God raises up a man named Nehemiah to come back and rebuild the walls. By the way, Ezra, Nehemiah, Malachi, all in the same basic season. They're all doing their ministries, all in the basic same area <clears throat> and if you read their writings you find that they're saying a lot of the same stuff they're saying a lot of the same stuff so the people do what's right for a time but once again as they had for generations life got busy they got distracted they started building families they started building businesses they started building houses nothing wrong with any of that but it served as a distraction for them their hearts drifted away from the house of God and once again 
the house is in, of God is in disrepair. The presence of God has pulled away from it because they're not doing what they said they would do. And this is why Malachi comes to the people in such a straightforward way. This is centuries of the same old story. I bless the people for a time. They honor me, and then it goes to their heads, and they think they did it, and then they wander away from me. <clears throat> so Malachi says, I'm not afraid of you people. That's what he says, right? You're robbing God, and God says, return to me with your tithes and your offerings, and then I'll return to you. Now, this is strange to me, because it seems like he would say, return to me with your hands lifted up, return to me and sing your songs to me, return to me in your prayers, but he says, return to me with the tithes and the offerings. The question for me was, why? Why is this the thing? Now, here's the thing. There's a sacrificial system, right? And part of the way that they get their sins rolled back was what they would bring their first and their best. The first and the best of their herd, the first and the best, best of their grains. It was very important to God, first and best. Go read through it. Always first and best, right? Trust me with the rest. That's the, the, the way God worked in, in that time. So here's, the th- here's why God wanted them to return in this way. Because without their tithes and their offerings, which of course were animals and grains, as we've already said, there could be no sacrifices on the altar. Now just so you understand, no tithes and offerings, no sacrifice on the altar, then there is no fire of God, no presence of God. This is how it worked. You, you may not understand this. This is how this worked. No fire from God to consume the sacrifice, no aroma rising up um, to the throne of God. The way that God moved in, this, in that generation, not here now, but in that generation, the way he moved on them, for them, through them, was through their, their, their sacrifices. God's heart would be moved when he would see the people go, yes, God, we're gonna give you our first and our best. God would be moved on their heart. Now, now this seems strange to us because we can't imagine bringing up an animal, but this is the way that God set it up through Moses and all of it foreshadowing a time when Jesus, the perfect sinless lamb, would come and pay the price once and for all. Aren't you grateful for that, everybody? Once and for all. Now, now here's what I know. Let me pause. Here's what I know about churches in America and American Christians, right? we get really uncomfortable with talk of money in church, right? And, and, and I would say this, sometimes rightfully so, because there has been abuses around this for sure. But again, I want you to relax, okay? Rest, rest easy. We'll talk about tithes and offerings at the end like we do every service, but there is n- this is not me manipulating, com- nothing, all right? Nothing could be further from the truth. God has blessed our church, we're doing great. Thank you very much, all right? So I'm not trying to get something from you, but I do want something for you. I want, you, I want something for you that I, ha- I have seen God do in my own heart and life, all right? N- now, here's why we're talking about this. First of all, this money uh, is such a big deal to God, not just in the Old Testament. Go look at Jesus. Go look at the teachings of Jesus. One-third of Jesus' parables, the stories that he would craft, were about money and money management. One-third of them, right? Over 800 verses in the Bible, in your Bible, are about money and money management. More than heaven, more than hell, more than prayer combined. Money is the topic, right? Why? Well, because he knew the power that wrong thinking around money could have on people, on their families, and not just in a family, but it could become generationally problematic. You've seen this. My grandparents, my great-grandparents, their parents, we've all struggled with money. It's generational. He wants to break the curse of that, to break the back of that. Jesus says it's the number one competitor with God for our hearts in Matthew chapter six. He says you can't serve both God and money, right? Why does he need to say this? Because he knows 
the power that money gets in our lives. It's why, it's why I promise you, the, every time, we don't talk about money very often in our church, almost never, really. In fact, the trustees are like, dude, you gotta do, do it more. I'm like, no, I'm not gonna ever be that guy that's trying to manipulate people into anything. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth. I trust the Holy Spirit to do the work, but I gotta preach God's word, yes or no? I gotta preach God's word, right? So, so the enemy hates this stuff so much that he fights us on it every time. You, you let me start thinking, I, I think it's time for us to, to teach God's word about this. It's like sick. Like Pastor Andy, not here today, sick. Like, and I was like, I was so sick on Friday, not, not, like, like I couldn't talk. I wasn't sick, like, like I'm feverish. Like I don't have COVID, everybody relax. This is the splash zone, so if I do, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, right? But, but, but the enemy fights it. Why? Because he understands the power that money and has on people's lives and he doesn't want people to get freedom around this right so so billy graham once said if a person gets his attitude towards money straight it will almost it will straighten out almost every other area of his life almost immediately and this is borne out by these stats i want to give you okay a couple things in, in america the number one thing that americans worry about is finances it's number one it's not even close number two According to the American Psychological Association, 75% of Americans are worried about money all the time. Another survey said that 25% of people's number one dominating thought every day, their number one dominating thought every day, money. But the same survey said that the top three financial worries that people have is living paycheck to paycheck, meaning if something bad happens, we're gonna be in trouble immediately. N number two, that they're gonna, they're gonna live in debt forever, never gonna pay off this loan, never gonna pay off this, this whatever. And number three is the, the fear of never being able to retire because of the first two things, right? So obviously people are loaded down with concern about money, right? This is a relevant subject. God knew that it would be throughout the generations. That's why he talked about it generationally. C conventional wisdom around finances says make sure you have a financial plan that lasts until the day you die. That's wisdom. That's good wisdom, right? That's a good idea. But kingdom wisdom, Jesus' wisdom would say, make sure you have a plan for the day after you die. Right? In other words, when my earthly life is over and, I'm, and, I, and, I, and I enter into eternity, how will I, more importantly, how will God view my financial track record? It does actually matter, everybody. It does matter. Many of us are incredibly stressed about money, and, and when you read about the, how the Bible talks about money, though, it's a different picture. It's a picture of financial peace. It's a picture of faith and hope and expectation. Even, even when bad things are happening in, in, in the world, uh, it's not supposed to stress us out. It, it, it's positive for the most part versus what we see in our culture today, worry, anxiety, fear around money. In fact, I feel confident that in this room today, out in the lobby today, those of you who are online today, that there, is a, there are people in there who are hearing this who are hurting financially, who are concerned financially. And as a church, part of our vision is to help people get freedom from their yesterdays, including financial entanglements that people, people find themselves in. Why? That's why we offer Financial Peace University. By the way, today, sign up for Financial Peace University. I actually hope that we're doing it this semester. If we're not, I'll lead it. I'll figure it out. Come on, we're gonna do that, all right? And, 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 we, and we, wanna, we wanna just speak to that, and, and I wanna encourage you to trust God in this area of your life. Beca because the reason why the Bible talks about, the, the reason why the Bible talk, the Bible's talk about money is positive and peaceful is because there are promises attached to doing things God's way, right? 
But if we want to experience the promises of God in, our, in, in any area of our life, we got to go God's way in that area of our life. I, I think sometimes we can read the Bible and sort of just appropriate the promises of God without realizing the responsibilities that go along with the promises, right? M- most of God's promises, if you read through the, the Bible, you're going to find that there's an if there, right? Meaning, if you do this, then God says, then I'll do that. And this is exactly what we're reading with Malachi. Return to me, then I'll return to you. I'll say it this way. If we want what God has for us in any area of life, then you and I need to do what it is that God prescribes in that area of life. Yes or no? Like, so for instance, I go to the doctor. I have a lot of doctors, everybody. Come on, I got, some, I got, I got all the diseases, right? All, all of them, right? Not really. I got a bunch of them, though. And, and one of the things that does, the doctor will go, hey, this is what I need you to do. I'm going to prescribe a therapy. I need you to take this. How's that going? And then if I go back and say, it didn't work, and he asks me, well, did you actually do what I said? And, and I say, no. He'd he, he be like, bro, bro, help me help you, right? A couple years ago, I went to my doctor, and I had lost some weight because I had gotten some bad labs, and I don't like to get bad labs. Can I get a witness, somebody? And I walk in, and he's like, he looks at me, and goes, Danny, you're skinny. Because I'm normally not skinny. Come on, can I get an amen? And he was like, yes. And he was freaking out. He's 71 years old. George Ford is his name. Freaking out. Yes. Everybody, come in. He gets everybody to come in. It's a huge office. Everybody's coming in, and I'm just sitting there like, what's happening right now? Look at Danny. He's lost 20-something pounds. Come on, give it up for Danny. And I'm like, what is, what, what is going on? <clears throat> he said, the thing is, he, he said, well, how did you do it? I said, well, dude, you told me I was going to die. <laughs> If I didn't lose some weight. Because I tell people they're going to die every day. They keep smoking. They keep drinking. They keep doing stupid. They keep eating. Got on the side of Big Red every day. So yeah, but I listen to you. He goes, nobody does. I'm cynical in my old age. Help me help you. See, see, when we know God's principles for life, and we choose to dishonor God's principles for life, if we don't know it, it's not the same, but if we know it, and we choose to dishonor God's principles for life, whether we mean it or not, we're saying, I got this, God. I don't need your help. You hear me? That's the truth. I I got this. I I don't need your help in my relationships. I don't need your help in my marriage. I got this. Yeah, but you're not doing things my way. Yeah, yeah, but I got it. Trust me. But but what we don't, what's happening, whether we intend it or not, is that it's a form of pride. Yeah, I, I got this, God. I don't need your help in this area. But let, let me tell you something. The thing about pride in all of its various forms is that it's actually one of the very few things God says that he hates. In fact, James, the, the, the brother of Jesus, says in James 4, but he gives us more grace because that's the generosity of God. And this is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the what? To the who? To the humble. I think this is a huge thing for us to get in our heads, everybody. If you follow Jesus, God opposes the proud. He doesn't just ignore like, oh, well, maybe they'll get it someday. No, no, no. He opposes the proud. And this is what we're seeing here with Micah, or Malachi, rather. Malachi is, is saying God is opposing you. You think that you have it all together spiritually, financially, and relationally, and I'm telling you, you're far from me on this. He opposes them for it. And, and many of us, the way that we feel and think about money is, is exactly what, why Solomon the wise wrote in Proverbs 16. He says, pride goes before what? Destruction, everybody. And, and a haughty spirit, a know-it-all spirit before the fall, the great fall, right? 
Pride goes before. So, so if, if, if there are behaviors that, that I have, that you have, and there are some in my life that are not the way God wants me to think about financial things, then I need to correct. Or if I get arrogant or prideful about it, there is gonna come some calamity. So, so, but if I can just live, listen now, l- lean in. If I can live with humility, if I can live with accountability, and I can live with simplicity financially. Listen, humility accountability and simplicity then I would stop so much of the grief that I'm experiencing that that we're experiencing financially in our world today if we could just get humble I need you God if we could just get accountable will somebody help me with this and if we can just get simple I don't have to have see the problem is 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 that the 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 assumption some the 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 consumption assumption just trying to come up with a word that, Matt, that rhymed, is that everything I have is all for me to consume. And God's like, no, it's not. It's not all for you to consume. It's, it's for you to bless. But there is an underlying, um, in American, there is a consumption assumption that it's all about me, and it leads to destruction, and it leads to pain, and it leads to grief in this area. Pride goes before destruction, so I need you, God. So, so what do we learn from all this? L- last few minutes here, last few minutes. Two places that Paul writes about this to, to the church in Corinth. In one letter, in the first letter to Corinthians, second, he, he writes a lot, but just a couple things. The first thing that he tells us is that generosity is a heart issue. It always has been, everybody. It always will be. Listen, it always has been. It always will. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There, there inexplicably, are they inter, they're, they're intertwined. I'm trying to get words out that, that the snot doesn't want to let me out, right? <laughs> true, true generosity doesn't, doesn't start with what I put in an envelope or I write on a check to, to whoever, to wherever. It begins first and foremost when I give my heart to Jesus. You are the Lord of it all, Right? So Paul, talking to the church in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm not going to read it, I'm just going to tell you what it says. He's talking about a collection that he's taken to go give to some poor people. And he says that the people, he was, he's commending them, he says the people gave, um, he says they gave according to their ability. But then he stops and he's, it's like he thinks about it, he says no, they gave more than their ability, which is like what, how can anybody give more than they could give, Right? And he clarifies it because he says, because they first gave themselves to the Lord. That's how you give more than your ability. You first give yourself to to the Lord. So all stewardship teaching, all generosity starts first and foremost with, God, you can have it all. You can have my heart, right? Without that happening, nothing else happens. It's always a heart issue. The second thing, and I want to just read this quickly, 1 Corinthians 16. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. This is a different thing. The first one I just read to you, that was another time. Different group of people. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches. Now this is the Corinthian church, but he's saying, hey, I did this over in Galatia too. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Saving it up. Now look, so that when I come, no collections will have to be, meaning I don't want to manipulate anybody. I don't want to pressure anybody. I just want you to do the right thing. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Now, this seems like not a big deal, but this is a really deeply insightful passage right here. 
It brings up my second point about generosity. Generous people believe giving is life's greatest investment strategy. It's not just religious people. Go look at the wealthiest people in America right now. They have realized this and they're giving a lot of, if not all of their money, they're giving it away because they realize the greatest thing I can do with my life is to give it away. But when you talk about the collection for the Lord's people, which is what Paul calls it, I want you to just understand something real quick. He's asking Gentiles, Paul is, people who are not Jewish, to give money to some poor Jewish people in Jerusalem. Now, just so you know, this never happened in history before. Jews and Gentiles hated each other. They did not support each other. This would be like going to A&M and saying, hey, we're doing a fundraiser for UT. Nobody's doing it. Come on. Nobody's going to do this. Right? Be like, no, broken horn, symbol, whatever. Like, no way am I giving. So, so those of you who aren't from Texas, you don't understand. But those of you from Texas, A&M people don't support Texas people. Texas people don't support A&M people. They should. Come on, for Jesus. But they don't. They don't. But Isaiah and, 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 and Micah both prophesied that one day Gentiles would come and streaming into Jerusalem to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the Lord, looking for God. And this is Paul saying this is what's happening, right? What's happening is these people have an, an awareness that what God has given me is meant to bless other people. And so they do. They bless their own enemies with money. Historically, they're enemies because they realize you can never... No, no, no project in history is as certain as the project that God is building called the kingdom of God. The, the third thing that generous people believe is that they believe in God's faithfulness. So he says to the church in Corinth, do it the first day of every week. He doesn't say just do it every week whenever you want to. He doesn't say the second or third day. He doesn't say wait till the seventh day to see if you have any left over. He says do it on the first day. Now it's important that you understand what he means by here. The first day to the Corinthians... Jesus Christ died. On the third day, he rose again. The third day was the first day of the week. Go read all four Gospels. It says they came and they found the tomb empty on the first day of the week. And what, he's, what we're seeing here is he's, at, he's saying to the, to the Corinthian church, I want you to bring a resurrection reality into your financial practices. You've heard of capitalism. You've heard of socialism. You've heard trickle-down economics. You've heard of Keynesian economics. This is resurrection economics. So Jesus would say it like this. He says, he says very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. He says, but if it dies, it, if it, dies it produces many seeds. Is that true? Yes or no? put a corn, kernel of, ground, of corn in the ground, you don't get one kernel back, you get a tree that produces many kernels of corn. And this is, the, this is the principle, this is the resurrection principle. In fact, Paul says to Timothy, like if you hoard everything, Timothy, for yourself, you're gonna lose it all. He says, for we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it, yes or no. So, so if, if I clutch my money, death and the IRS are always gonna get it, right? But if I sow it like a seed by giving it away, it feels like I'm losing it, but actually I'm sowing it and it's producing fruit that I'll never even know how many people, right? Resurrection reality. You cannot outgive. You cannot outgive God. God says, give and it will be given back to you. God says, whoever is, whoever is kind to the poor is lending to the Lord, right? And, and he will reward them for what they do. This is not just taught in the scriptures. This is taught in everyday life. There are many people in this room, very generous people in this room, people watching online, that know this is true. There are people sitting around you, those of you who are like, I don't know anything about any of this, I don't know what's up. Like, there are people around you who would tell you 
listen, I've been doing this a long time. I've been trusting God in my finances a long time. He has never failed me. He has never forsaken me. He has never left me hungry. He has never made me, I've never been, it, David, uh, David said I was old and then I was young. He said I was young and then I was old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. Never seen it. So everything that happens here at LifePoint, I'm just using this for an illustration, from loving on kids, from, from, from stewarding our, 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 our training and teaching our students up to, to, the, to the missions work we do here in the city, around the world, all happens because of generous people. There's no endowments, come on, there's no, there's no denomination coming in. Everything that happens here is because of people just like you, so thank you for your generosity. The idea is not just that, that everybody's giving is needed. No, 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 no. That's backwards. The idea is that everybody needs to give because it puts you in, into the jet stream, generosity does, of, of kingdom reality. So, so Malachi, just to wrap it up, he says, God says, test me in this. Test me in this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you there's not room enough to store it. This is the only place in all of the Bible, as far as I can tell, where God commands uh, with all of the com commands God gives where God actually invites people, test me in this one. Test me in this one. Try, try me. Trust me and see if I won't bless you. So, as I've done in all these messages, let me just say it this way. Let's look backwards at the track record of God, the generosity of God. Psalm 24 and 1 says, the earth is the Lord's Say this with me, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, right? It's all, it all belongs to God. If you don't see it this way, you'll never get this. But everything that you have, everything you hope to have, everything you get in this life, from this life, will be the result of God's help, God's blessings, God's mercy, because it's all of his. James says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, all of it. Whether you're a believer or not, every good thing that's happened in your life, God did it. Trust me, God did it. In the beginning, God made an incredible world. What did God do with this incredibly beautiful world that he gave? He, ga he gave it to Adam and Eve, yes or no, right? But God didn't stop it, just life and breath and sustainability. First Timothy 6, 17 says he, 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 knows, he knows our delights. So he made seas. Do you like to go to the sea, everybody? Yeah. Do you like to go to the mountains? Because he made those. He made rivers. And, and he made 750,000 uh, varieties of insects some of which we wish he didn't. Come on, can I praise Jesus for that? Right? right? 400,000 species of flowers, 200,000 species of edible plants, 10,000 species of birds, stars too numerous to count because he knows that these delight us. He creates them, right? When he created human being, a uh, perfect human habitat called Eden, he, he called his people to work in it, interact with it, and to enjoy it. Work didn't become labor until after the fall. It was work was a delight, then he gave the people to each other. And then he gave him his presence. His presence was so real that when God would come walking, they would know it was him in the cool of the garden. Throughout the history of God's people, he opened his hands, provided them with food, clothing, protection, shelter, everything they needed. Psalm, Psalm 145, 16, you open your hands and satisfy the desires of every living thing. God's resources never dry up. Bound up in the heart of God, I believe this with all of my heart, is the desire to bless, to love, to shower blessings up on his people. I'm not talking about get rich quick. Come on, I'm not doing that, right? When Jesus came to the earth, what did he do? He opened up his hands. He healed the sick. 
He raised the dead. He fed the multitudes. He showed compassion on the weak and lowly. And when he was about to be nailed to a cross, he did not clench his hands trying to hold on to his life. He did not shake his fist at those who were persecuting him. He opened his hands and he allowed them to drive nails through his unclenched hands. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the kind of God you serve in this place this morning. That's the kind of God. So, Lord, I, um, I'm grateful, God, for the word of the Lord. I'm, I'm grateful for the people of God. God, you've always had people. You've always had a place. And your, your presence always comes down in the pl- on your people in the place called our heart now. The place is our heart, God. The place is this building. But it's many buildings all across the world. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your presence Thank you for your, your, the people of God. God, I'm praying for people right now who would say, I'm struggling financially. I'm, we're in a p- position where we haven't been. We don't know where we're gonna do. God, I pray you would let them see the promises of God, that you would let them experience the promises of God. I pray that you'd give them peace even when it looks like chaos, that they would trust, that they would have a hope that you will come through on their behalf, God. Bless, I pray the finances of every person in this gathering today, God. Every person listening to this, God bless and strengthen. God, as they move towards you, God, you promise you'll move towards them. You will never, never, never go back on your word, God. I thank you for it. I pray your help and your grace upon them. In Jesus' name, I pray. Everybody said amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.